Oh, also this Wednesday night, um, we're going to have uh, Brian Bristol give us a little update on how the missions trip to Hong Kong went. So if you normally don't come on Wednesdays, but you're really praying for that trip and you want to hear a little bit more about it, he's going to take a few minutes to, to share about that. So keep that in mind. Now, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been, of course, we've been going through the book of Ephesians and when we came to the end of chapter 6, this section on spiritual warfare, the whole armor of God, um, we've kind of slowed down a little bit on it because of the importance. We saw in part one the fact that we are in a war. We are in a battle, every one of us, a spiritual battle. And our enemy isn't people, it's Satan and his, his demons. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and excuse me, and powers. And then we began to go through the armor of God, and we saw how important truth and righteousness, a commitment to those are. And we talked about our feet being shed with, being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The fact that carrying the gospel is our mission. That's our agenda. That's what we do. And so if we're good soldiers, we want to not only share the gospel, but we want preparation. We want to be prepared to share it. We want to, when we are with other people, we want to be tilling the soil and, and making it ready for them to hear the truth of, of the gospel. And so now we've come to verse 17. Oh, we talked last, well, two weeks ago because Gail Irwin was here last week, but we talked about the shield of faith and all those little darts that Satan shoots at us. Usually they're aimed at our at our heart. And, and we can be protected with our trauma plate that we have, but at the same time, these little darts make these little explosions that just distract us. And really, those darts are a thousand different ways that we get our feelings hurt. And as that happens, and, and we have an opportunity with the shield of faith to be able to quench those things and, and not allow ourselves to be governed by our feelings. And now in verse 17, we come to the last, well, really there are three weapons left or three pieces of armor left. The helmet of salvation, which we'll talk about this morning. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that we'll talk about next week. And then prayer is the other offensive weapon that we have, and we'll talk about that the following week. But this morning, let's look at the helmet of salvation. He says, take the helmet of salvation. Remember, earlier with some of the things, it was what you have. You have the, that you know, breastplate of righteousness, and, and you have that truth, the, the, the girdle of truth, and so on. But then he says, you need to take this. It's more active. And so he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul talks about the helmet of the hope of salvation. And we'll talk a little bit about the past, present, and future nature of salvation. But what is salvation? You know, what we think we know usually, but, but it's a helmet. But first, we need to know what salvation is before we understand why the helmet is a good metaphor for it. Salvation, the word just means to be rescued, to be delivered. It means you're in a mess, you're in a bind, you're in trouble, and someone comes along and rescues you. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does for us 
when we are saved. But when we talk about salvation and when you look at it in the scriptures, it is sometimes referring to the fact that we've been saved in the past. And that's what we call justification generally. That for all of us was the time when we decided that we didn't want to or couldn't deal with our own sins ourselves. And so we came to Jesus Christ and offered our lives to him. And we said, I want a fresh start. I want to be saved. I need someone who can rescue me, who can forgive my sins, and I can start all over with them. And so he, because of that faith, you didn't do anything to earn it. It, it was by grace, through faith, he saved us. And when he does that, he declares us to be righteous. We basically take on his righteousness. He takes our sin upon himself. And so some salvation is just a reference to that, that fact that, you know, have you been saved or not? Have you ever come to the point where you've entrusted your, your life to Jesus Christ? But salvation doesn't stop there. Because the truth is, even though for me, I say I was saved in 1971. But you know what? I've done a lot of things since whereby I need to be rescued on a daily basis. Now, what was wrong with me before was that I was a sinner, that I was living my life according to what I wanted to do. And my natural inclination, because I'm a human, because I'm somebody who has... Uh, this, you know, if I feel like doing it, it's probably wrong. It's just, that's, that's the way I am. And, of course, it, it's not about, oh, because I, it's nothing personal. It's not like I want to go against God. It's just that it just so happens that what I want is different than what he says is good for me. And I even, like, like Paul talked about, we saw in our study of Romans in Romans 7 when he's talking about I want to do things but I don't, that I don't do and I don't want to do the things that I do do. I'm in this struggle. That's what's weird. Some of us, even before we were Christians, we really wanted to be good. We knew what we were doing wasn't good but we just didn't have the ability to, to make that change. Well, that need to be rescued still goes on in the present. From the day I accepted Jesus Christ up until today, I put myself constantly in need of a Savior, in need of rescue, in need of delivery. And if you think that you don't, if you're going to tell me that, that you know, ever since you got saved, now you're taken care of, and therefore you never need to be rescued again, well, you don't understand what you, who you really are and what you're really doing. But the truth is, I am still as prone as ever to messing up my life, okay? Just, just the fact that he forgave all those sins that I did in the past, that's the least of my problems. My problem is I'm still banging my head against a wall doing stupid things, and, so, and the Bible calls that sin. And so there is this process of being saved, and we usually call it sanctification, Justification is generally involving that time when you became a Christian. But sanctification is the process whereby you wake up and realize, you know what, I didn't just need to be saved from hell, I also need to be rescued the way I'm living my life. And I need to grow, I need to change. 
Now, do I need to change so that I'll go to heaven? No. I, I, I'm already going to heaven, and we'll talk about that when we talk about glorification. Do I need to be good now to make up for what I did before I was a Christian? No. That was taken care of. That's done. I'm justified. But the truth is God wants to give me a good life now. He wants to fix the way I'm living now. He wants, me to, he wants to rescue me from me. And so sanctification is the process by which he does that. It, it means to be cleansed. It's the idea that he is working on us. See, you really haven't come to Christ unless you've agreed that you need to change. If you just want to stay the way you are, why come to him? You know, what do you really want? You really, do you really want to destroy yourself? Do you really want to continue in misery? Oh, can I be a Christian and still make myself miserable and make everyone around me miserable? Obviously, sure. That's the way most Christians are. But God wants to rescue us from that. He wants to go, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. Come on, I can, you can do better than that. And so that's the process that we call sanctification. Now, just like justification, sanctification is something that comes purely by God's grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't need to sanctify yourself. You don't need to make yourself righteous. You don't need to clean up your own act. There isn't a checklist of laws that you need to follow in order to be rescued from yourself. It's just a work of God. However, there are things that you can do that will keep you from being sanctified, that will keep you from growing. You can fight his hand in your life. You can quench the Holy Spirit and keep him from doing the work that he wants to do. Now, it's important that we get this straight. You don't have to go to church, for instance, in order to stay saved. And, and you don't have to continue to eliminate sins from your life in a practical sense in order to stay saved. You're not saved by grace and kept by works. It's all God's grace. So there's nothing that you have to do. But see, when I came to Jesus, it meant that it was possible for me to have fellowship with God. And it meant that as a result, I could have fellowship with others. It means a bunch of sinners like us could get together and go, isn't it cool that we all know Jesus? Isn't it awesome that because he's forgiven us, we can forgive each other? We can get along? We can accept each other? We have a basis for fellowship? But if you don't want that, you don't have to do that. And what that will is it'll rob you from being rescued. If you don't want to be rescued, make up your mind, is what I'm saying. Do you want to be saved from yourself, from others? Do you want your life to improve? Well, if so, stop fighting against him and allow the Spirit to work in your life. Allow that sanctification to happen. That's a part of salvation. Now, the third part of salvation is the future one that I mentioned, and it's called glorification. Justification in the past, sanctification right now. Glorification is that future rescue whereby when we die, we get to go to the presence of God. We get to go to heaven or whether if Jesus returns first, if he comes and takes us in the rapture, we get to go with him, that's glorification. We're in the presence of God. There's no more sin. There's no more pain. Awesome. 
And for a lot of people, what they think is, I need to be justified so that I will someday be glorified. And they see salvation as simply a ticket to heaven. And it's so much more than that. And it's important to understand that because God is a rescuer. He rescues us all the time. You know, some of the great old movies, and they don't make them this way as much, but it used to always be that, that the heroes would get in a mess, somebody would, would get in a real predicament, and you didn't know what was going to happen, and then all of a sudden, boom, somebody comes in and rescues. Whether it was the cavalry coming marching up, or whether it was something that Batman would pull out of his belt, or you know whatever it was, or Superman, you know, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen create this big mess, and, and here comes Superman flying in at the last minute and rescuing. Well, that's, that's the Lord. He wants to show up. He wants to be there for us. But do you want him now, or do you just want to meet him someday? Is it just about you getting to heaven? Or do you understand that you need help all the time? And, and it's important to get that when we, when we discuss salvation. You know, some people have a hard time facing eternity because they think, well, guy, you know, if there's really a hell and it's so sad, it's so terrible that people are going to go to hell and, and if, if I read the scriptures correctly, suffer for eternity. But, you know, while we're in heaven and sometimes we even think, man, when I'm in heaven, if I'm thinking about people that I love who are in hell, heaven won't even feel like heaven. But... There's some things you have to understand about that. And first of all is, there are some people who do not want to go to heaven. They really don't. And how nice would it be to force them to be in heaven? It would be like when you force your kids to do something, and then they're complaining about it the whole time. And, and you might go, oh, come on. You know, nobody would choose hell over heaven. But I would suggest that a lot of people are going to choose hell over heaven. And you think, how could they do that? How, that's, that's crazy. Well, look at the choices that people make today in their lives. Look at the hell people put themselves through when the alternative is right there. They could, and, and what is heaven? It's being with God's people. It's fellowshipping with him. It's worshiping him. It's glorifying him. It's being with him forever. If you don't want to be with God now, you're not going to want to be with him later. Trust me. And, and you go, oh, but hell, I mean, so obviously so bad. Hey, your life now is so obviously bad. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I look at your life now and go, why in the world would you ever want to suffer the way that you do? And you're like, what, I'm fine. You'll probably go ahead and do that for all of eternity. You'll probably be in hell thinking, eh, it's not so bad. Because you haven't got to the point where you even understand how incredibly blessed we are to be able to know God. But if we like hanging around God and his people now, then heaven just becomes a natural continuation of that. If we reject him now, there's no reason why anything should be different later. So if you want to be rescued, you know, you've made that decision to come to Jesus Christ. If you want to be rescued, you really want to be rescued, you're also allowing him to make changes in your life right now. And you're, you're seeing 
progress. You're seeing that you're getting victory over the things that you do that drive people away from you, the things that you do that are making your life miserable. It's all about being with him and letting him rescue us. And ultimately, the outcome of that kind of a life is salvation in the future, glorification. It's being in his presence. It's enjoying being with him forever. And that's basically what salvation is. That's the whole scope of it. It's being justified so that we can fellowship with God. It's allowing him to work in our lives and sanctify us and ultimately to glorify us and take us into the presence of God where we will be forever. So what's the helmet about? And how does this apply to us in in our spiritual battle? Well, Paul used all the different aspects of a Roman soldier's uh, armor in order to create this word picture of his of, of spiritual warfare. The helmet was the most important part of it for them. It, because, you know, yeah, you can take body shots. Those little fiery darts and everything are really annoying. But if you get hit in the head, it's serious. Your head is connected to everything else in your body down through your nervous system. And you know how it is. If you stub your toe, it's one thing. If you hit your head, everything hurts. And I know, I'm one of these people who just hits my head a lot. I'm always banging my head everywhere. I guess, I'm, I, guess I still think I'm shorter than I am or something. But Anne always, whenever I go off on a missions trip, she's just always praying that I won't hit my head. Because in other countries, their doorways are really small. And I mean, I can't even think of how many times I've been in, in Thailand or Cambodia or somewhere like that and just hit my head so hard, it felt like somebody just took a baseball bat and whacked it. And as I'm coming through a door, and I, I usually wear a hat to try to keep the sun off my head, so therefore I can't see the door jam, and boom, I nail it, and it just, oh, it knocks me silly. The worst, one of the worst moments of my life was when I was over in, in uh, Poi Pet in Cambodia one time, and I got some bad chicken, and as I was running to the bathroom... I hit my head on a metal rail that was ripped loose, and so my head was just spurting blood, just squirting out like this. My mouth was similarly, <laughs> and it was just, I thought that knife, that night was going to never end. I'm doubled over. I'm holding my head. Blood's everywhere, and it's like, my head, it's, you know, I've injured almost every other part of my body, and it doesn't affect you like your head. And so for them, I mean, if a spear comes down and hits you on top of the head, you're a shish kebab. You're done. It's over. It's not like, oh, I'm wounded. Give me a medic. It's like, I'm dead. <laughs> you can't get me anything. I'm beyond help. And so they wore helmets always. Now, their helmets weren't quite like the ones you see on TV. They were made out of leather, but they were very thick leather, like three-quarters of an inch thick, enough to keep their weapons out. And then on top of the helmets, they flowered them up a whole lot. They put decorations on. Sometimes they would have a big fin on the top of it, often a plume, depending on their rank and who they were. But that, that helmet said, look at me, I'm a soldier. You can see me coming. This is what I am proud of. This is what identifies me as when I put, the, they wouldn't wear the helmet when they were back at camp. But when they're ready to go to war, they threw that helmet on, and that said, I'm going for it. 
I'm going after it. Now, what's that have to do with our salvation? Simply this. Our head, that's where it all happens. When we goof up, it starts in our head. When, we, when our sins don't start as action. They always start as ideas. And the scriptures tell us constantly to guard our thoughts and to take our thoughts captive. It talks about how when lust begins to conceive, then it ends up leading forth into actually sin. Almost everything stupid that you ever did started with a bad idea, ended up with bad actions. And so we are told that he wants to renew our minds, help us to think differently. And so, first of all, we see that we need to think like we're saved. We need to think like it's really true that we've been rescued. Now, that should give us a real peace about our past. See, if you're, if you're aware that your sins have been forgiven, you're not going to spend a bunch of time moaning and groaning about, oh, failures from the past. What's past is past. It's done. If you think like a saved person, you're thinking as someone who doesn't have to look back with regret or worry. Now, you're also saved in the present, and thinking like a saved person right now means I can live my life because I have a rescuer. I have someone who will be there for me. I'm not living in great fear of my own failure. I'm not afraid to take action because it might not work out. Present paranoia is inconsistent with a person who has a savior, with a person who's wearing that helmet of assurance that God is there for you. You can take some chances. You can extend yourself a little bit. You can do what you feel him telling you to do, even if other people are saying, I don't know if that's a very good idea. You're like, man, I got the greatest insurance policy in the world. If I mess up, he's going to rescue me. Little kids are that way. You know, they trust you and they'll just get up on a shelf and just jump to you and you catch them. How do they know you're going to catch them? I mean, yeah, you're, you're trying real hard to catch them. Depends if it's your kid or somebody else's kid. But, you know, still, you're like, but they know you've done it in the past. You've established a track record. We used to have some friends years ago, and their little boy was really small, and, and he just had no fear. And I used to, he'd roll up, Jerry would roll up in a little ball, and I would throw him up in the air just spinning and into the swimming pool. And he's like five, six years old. It was amazing to see. One day, <laughs> one day his dad and, he, and little Jerry went into the next door neighbor's yard to get a ball, and they go, okay, Dave, here it comes, and they threw me the ball. And then Jerry goes, Dave, I'm going to throw you something else. You ready? I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but you better believe I was ready. And little Jerry comes flying over, six-foot block wall, ah, you know, and I'd catch him. And we got pretty good at it. <laughs> so whenever people would come over to their house, they would go over in the neighbor's yard, and I'd go, hey, you guys, watch this. And I'm like, oh, where is he coming, <laughs> you know? And I always caught him. He was never afraid. He was never scared. That's the kind of... And by the way, I, I checked. The statute of limitations has gone. Don't report me. Little, little Jerry's in his 30s. He's okay. Minimal brain damage. 
But that confidence in the present of going, you know what? I know he's going to catch me. I know that he is there for me. It allows you to do some fun things. It allows you to take some chances. Knowing that God is there. Knowing that we have a rescuer. We're not out here all by ourselves. There's somebody who we know is going to come looking for us. There's somebody who has a track record of leaving the 99 to go after the one. I got my son Danny for Christmas this little GPS thing that he can take out with them because they worry me when they go snowboarding. They go into the back country where you know, nobody knows they're there and avalanches can come and everything. And so he has this little device that can send out an emergency signal. It can also call me and let me know he's in trouble and show me the coordinates where he's at. So anywhere in the world where you are, you're, you're car- you can carry that thing and, and it reports back where you are. Well, God is everywhere. He is right there. The way that your life changes when you discover that, it's, it's, it's nothing short of total freedom. It's just like, God is going to rescue me. He's done it in the past. He's proven he can do it. He's going to rescue me now. And not only that, I'm not worried about the future. Because if I get a little carried away and I die, I'm in heaven instantly with him. I don't live in fear of death. I don't have to look ahead and go, oh, it's going to be so terrible getting old. No, you know, in some ways, sure, I'm sure it is terrible getting old, and I'm finding that out more and more every day. But I know what comes at the end, and I know there's a rescue plan in place. And I'm certain that he is going to save me. I know he's going to be there. And so I wear that helmet and I go, because it's there, I think like a saved person. I think like someone who's been rescued before and who will always be rescued and who will be rescued in the ultimate rescue program as he, as he takes me up to heaven. I think like that. But also, when we get our head around the real meaning of salvation, we understand it. By the way, I should say, there are some people who, there are arguments about whether, well, what, can you lose your salvation? Can the helmet fall off somewhere and then, you know, you lose it? Well, it, it's an it's a argument that I'm not going to go into right now. There are some scriptures that warn us to abide in Christ, that warn us to stay with him. But if you want him as your savior, he's your savior. If you ever get to a point where you just go, I don't even want him. I don't even want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to heaven. Well, he's not going to force you to. Now, whether you want to say, oh, I was saved and lost, or whether you want to say I was never really saved, doesn't matter. He doesn't force anyone to heaven. Sometimes he almost does. But because we're like, we try to wander away, and he goes, get back here, and pulls us back into line. But ultimately, I feel that he wants us to have a security that says I'm always saved. Now, like the Roman soldier, though, when you put that helmet on, it makes a statement about you. It's, it's kind of like when a, when a football player is drafted and they sign with their new team and they get their helmet. And it has the team's logo on it and, and, it ha- and their number is emblazoned on it. And when you have that helmet, it means something. It means that you're a part of that team. It means that you will put your whole head into that line of scrimmage and that helmet's going to protect you. And you're there with a bunch of other people in helmets too who are on your side. You look at the sidelines of a football team and you see a lot of guys who aren't wearing helmets. And some guys on the sidelines of a pro football game 
are wearing baseball caps and carrying clipboards. Now, that guy's probably not going to get in the game. But a guy with a helmet on is saying, I'm ready to go. And as Christians, sometimes, you know, we can say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I think I'll keep my helmet in the case. I don't really want people to see it. No, we need to take that helmet and wear it proudly. Not proud of who I am. Proud of who we are. Proud of being a member of the body of Christ. Proud of being a Christian. We, we, should, we should be like a little kid when they first get their new uniform. We should be like a cop when they get sworn in and now they get their badge and their gun and they're like so happy to be a member of this fraternity or a firefighter when they go through that same swearing in ceremony and now like I'm a member of this or somebody who's a member of one of the armed services when, when they, you know, um, are, are sworn in to, to serve this country and to lay their lives on the line, all of a sudden they're a part of something and the reason they have a uniform is because that allows everyone to see we are in this. And a lot of guys, long after they outgrow their uniform, boy, they still look back. Maybe they'll hang it on the wall or something and think, I still have identity as a Marine or as a retired police officer or as a football player who's retired or whatever. Hey, we don't ever have to retire. And as Christians, we should wear that helmet of salvation proudly. We should be happy to let people know that we're saved. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Hey, I'm happy to let anybody know I'm a Christian. There's no place to hide that helmet. And if you take it off to hide it, you're making yourself vulnerable. And all of a sudden, the spear comes down and shish kebabs you, and it's really no comfort to go, yeah, I had a helmet. Sorry, I just wasn't wearing it. It's only going to help you if you're wearing it. And so Paul here is saying, take the helmet of salvation. So take it. Are you saved? Are you thinking like a saved person? Are you living like a saved person? Are you demonstrating the kind of freedom in your life that says, I am taken care of royally by the King of Kings. I trust him completely. I'm not worried. There are a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they just don't seem like someone who's wearing the helmet of salvation. Wear it, wear it proudly. And, and think about what it has to do with every aspect of our lives. And if so, we're ready for battle. We're ready to move forward in battle because I'm going, I am a person who has a Savior. I am a person who has been rescued and he promises to always rescue me. I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. I'm not shy about it. I'm, I'm letting anybody know, hey, you can get one of these too. You can find how you can meet Jesus Christ as well. I carry it well because I wear it proudly because I needed it so desperately. The helmet of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. And thank you above all else for being our savior. You know we need it. Some of us are going to need saved from something this afternoon. And I thank you that you'll always be there. 
Thank you for what you've done for us, the love that you have for us, the price that you paid so that we could be saved. Lord, help us to wear it well. Help us to adorn the doctrine by having people look at us and having us make salvation look like something that sets you free, not something that enslaves you and makes you miserable. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your love for us, for your sacrifice for us. Help us this week to think like like Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. You know, if you're here,